Hey, it's Josiah. Before we get started with this episode, I have something very special to share with you. You know, we've delved deep into what it means to be an Enneagram 5 together for the past few years, especially with our friend of the show, Sam Greenberg, or as many of you know her, the Enneagram expert. And now we want to go even deeper with you. We've worked together with Sam to craft an online workshop exclusively for type 5s to help you unlock the secrets of connection with every Enneagram type. This is not just another generic workshop. It's a deep dive into understanding and nurturing relationships tailored specifically for your unique perspective. Imagine getting practical, actionable insights on connecting with each of the nine Enneagram types all through the lens of a type five. Sam's going to guide you on how to build meaningful relationships, sharing strategies and insights specifically designed for fives. I've seen firsthand how Sam's insights can transform understanding and communication. And I'm so excited to partner with her to bring this exclusive workshop to you. Whether you're looking to deepen current relationships or navigate new ones, this workshop is a game changer for fives seeking genuine connection. Spots are limited, and trust me, you don't want to miss this. So head over to Enneagram5.com connection to secure your place and begin your journey towards richer, more authentic connections. Once again, go to Enneagram5.com connection or visit the link in the description to get your ticket to the workshop today. Okay, so one of the most requested episodes we've gotten is what it's like to be a female five. And it's, from what we gather, a kind of its own unique experience. And Cody and I don't really have much to add to that conversation. We reached out to the community and we asked for volunteers. We got a lot of people who volunteered, uh, which was awesome to see. And we have some of those brave souls here to have a conversation about what it's like to be a female five. So I'd like to introduce Elise, Ari, and Heather. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Let's just jump in here and go through, give a brief introduction for each of you. Say your name and maybe a little bit, as much as you're comfortable sharing about like, you know, what it is you do, where you're from, and that sort of thing. So let's start with Elise. Hi, my name is Elise Zelmer. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am a marriage and family therapist with a focus on intimacy issues and trauma. My name is Ari, and I am a floral advisor. There's not like an official name for it, so it's hard to describe, but I basically operate a flower guillotine every day and put stuff in coolers, so. Hi, I'm Heather, and I live outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm a copywriter, so I spend my days writing websites for businesses. So before we jump into the questions, I'm, I'm curious to hear if you, you all know what your wings are or, and or subtypes. 
Okay. I am a five with balanced wings, and I am either a self-preserving sexual subtype or a sexual self-preserving subtype. Jury's still out. Elise took my answer. I am a five with balanced wings, and I believe I'm a sexual self-preservation subtype, but it sometimes can feel flip-flop, so yeah. I have a very strong four wing, and I think I am a sexual social subtype, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I've not met many people that have like truly balanced wings. So it's kind of awesome that we have two here. <laughs> I'm really curious what that's like. Like I have a very strong four wing. I don't really it's have much terrible. of a six wing at all. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Listening to you guys talk in your first first season, it was like, oh yeah, Josiah and I are like yeah, I get Josiah. And then it'd be like, oh no, Cody, I get Cody too. Because we get that creative side and that existential gap of like, oh no, emotions in a black hole on the floor and I don't have to go deal with them and I don't want to kind of thing that the five wing four gets. But we also get that like anxiety driven six brain where it's like, oh no, but what if this happens and I have to be prepared for every worst case scenario ever? It's terrible. <laughs> well yeah. that's really encouraging to hear because it basically validates like the whole premise of the show and that's why cody and i did this it was because he had a six wing and i had a four i'm like oh we could give somewhat of a balanced view from a five perspective on this and so that's awesome that it actually came through that way nailed it <laughs> that's true nailed it so one thing I'm really curious about hearing from each of you is how you discovered the Enneagram and how you realized that you're a five. So let's start with you, Elise. The Enneagram was brought to my attention by a client I had during my internship, and they kind of brought it up. It was one of those things where it was like, okay, if it's really helpful to you, that's great. But I didn't know a whole lot about it. I knew it was taking the church world by storm and didn't really delve into it until I graduated and started working at a place where one of my supervisors was an Enneagram expert. So it was a large part of our supervision process. And so she had me go on and read a couple of the Enneagram books and the five just fit from the first go. It was like, that's definitely me. And there are parts of it I really love. And there are parts of it that are like, I don't need anybody knowing that about me. And I don't want anybody having that, that guidebook to who I am. And so that's kind of how I found out I was a five. Most people don't assume I'm a five, but there we go. Awesome. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that feeling of not wanting other people to have a guidebook to <laughs> and then on the other hand, also kind of wanting people to have it just because it like it cuts out all of the extra energy you have to put towards other people understanding you. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> Ari, how about you? How did you find out about the Enneagram? So originally as like a young teen, I was really into the MBTI. But as a also like female INTJ, INTP, it's a weird box to fit in. And I didn't love always being pictured as the villain in like a memeified version of it. And so it ended up just like through that somehow coming across the Enneagram in the midst of that. But I sat with it for a good year or so before I settled on five. I kind of wavered between four, five and six. Couldn't really figure out which one felt the most me until I started researching the arrows like the health and stress. And then once I... I don't think I'd experienced like the true eight side of me. But once I read about going to seven, I was like, oh, crap, that is me. And then it started like diving more into it. And it made the most sense, at least the saying with the guidebook. It's like, nope, 
I kind of want to shut it and put it away and just, it helps me make sense of me, but keep it away from everybody else. Awesome. What about you, Heather? Yeah. So the Enneagram, my family is obsessed with the Enneagram. So growing up, we would talk about it at dinner and my mom is a four and maybe it's a four thing, but she was always very like, I'm a four. It's very unique and special. <laughs> um, and I thought that I was an eight for a really long time because I think I was a kid. I didn't really know myself all that well. And it wasn't until later on in life, I had just had kids and I had gone back to work and it was a very like high stress time of my life. And so I, and I'd also gotten a promotion. So I was looking into like how to be a good manager. And it, it talked about like your leadership style and your personality. And so that's when I really started to go back through some of that work that I hadn't touched in, you know, a decade plus. And I pretty quickly knew that I was a five. Um, just the fact that I was reading about what kind of leadership personalities were out there was probably a good indicator that I was a five right there. And since then, I think it's like really shaped my adult life in wonderful ways because it, it just gives me so many added insights into myself and other people in my life, too. That's great. I don't think I've met anyone who kind of grew up with the Enneagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought I was an eight for a very long time, which is funny because I'm I'm very socially awkward and even in high school was too. And I, I don't know why I thought that. But So I'm really curious to hear from each of you about what it is that you feel like the way that five is expressed for you externally, like how, pe how people see you when your five comes out. I think for me, I've been told a lot that I am a few things like sh very shy, which irritates the crap out of me because I think there's a difference between quiet and shy, you know, it's like shy means something kind of indecisive and wishy-washy. I don't know. Anyway, so that's one that I get a lot. And um, at work, I think I would be told that I was indecisive and I need to speak up more. And those are the things that I guess for a long time I didn't like about being a five because I thought that I needed to be in a different box, like personality-wise, like in order to achieve goals and succeed. And I think it's funny because when you're in the workplace in particular, which is like my first frame of reference for all of these things, like a guy, a dude can be super socially awkward and quiet. And you hear them described as like intelligent, like thoughtful, you know, and like everybody leans in when they say something, that one sentence they say in a meeting. But my experience as a female has been like polar opposite in terms of positive associations with those traits. I, I can definitely see that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit more. In a minute, but let's, let's, let's keep going here. So Ari, what do you think is, are some of your more five characteristics that come out? Some of the first things when people meet me, I ask a lot of questions and that's some of it's social anxiety because my general like state of being is I don't want to be the first one to talk. So, Hey, I'm here talking, <laughs> but yeah, it's just not my first go-to. I'd rather sit back and observe, which is something that has been said to me many times. And I think as a female, even more so that because I do that, I come across as intimidating, which has been said to me on more than a handful of occasions. So I think like being really curious, and I'm also the first person around when people are throwing around theories and ideas. And it's just like, guys, we have Google in front of us. Like, Let's at least look at what the actual facts are first and then base theories off of that. But they'll be going off of nothing. I'm like, let's get a baseline and then go. So I think those are probably generally the most consistent like day-to-day -day five traits. Yeah, love it. Elise, what about you? I have gotten I'm too blunt. I generally get from people who don't know me very well. 
or are very upset by the fact that I pointed out how wrong they are about something. I got cold-hearted, maniacal bitch once. That one was great. I told him I was Irish and that had nothing to do with it. Uh, I get witty and I get sharp. I was always really loud as a kid. I resonate with that thinking you were an eight for a while and told I needed to be quiet, but reserved, bookworm, all of those are where how my five tends to show up. As a female five, I've now realized that that's why I don't feel very feminine, because I'm not into feminine things, and I don't get overwrought about things, and I don't get very emotional. So that all feels not very feminine, and I'm not interested in feminine pursuits like sewing and decorating. Instead, I have my passions that I follow. They're more intellectual, and I think that's all part of my being a five. The hardest part about being a female five, I really experienced more when I was younger. Guys would say that I wasn't like other girls because I didn't care or I wasn't needy, which is basically code words for I'm cold, emotionless, and distant. Female friendships were really difficult because the groups are held together through deep emotional sharing and a lot of time spent together, which is not something I am interested in or really even capable of. So while I had a lot of different friend groups, I was always just outside at the mall, floating between them, which served me, but it had the drawback of not giving me the nurturing that I needed because I am human. As an adult, I've had to learn the skill of kin keeping, of tending relationships. But now that I have like read papers and articles and it all makes sense to me so I can do those things to keep those relationships. So it might sound utilitarian or awful, but I have to remind myself when people are talking to make eye contact so that it seems like I care about what they're saying. Or I have to make a reminder to myself to call somebody after they have a surgery because I wouldn't care if somebody called me after a surgery. So I have to remind myself that other people have feelings. I think the best part about being a five is that I'm the person people come to when they have problems because I don't get wrapped up in the drama of it all. I can listen and ask questions, which is helpful for us both. It gives the person, my friend, <laughs> a witness. And it also gives me a role in the relationship that I can feel competent in. So I'll open this up to uh, to everyone or whoever wants to jump in first here. What do you feel like are some of the biggest challenges that you've dealt with specifically as a female five that some of the male fives in the audience might not have experienced or or thought about? Yeah, so I think for me, I think it's one fives in general kind of deal with, but I think it, there's a different side of it as a female, but that is... Like for me, emotions are generally the biggest challenge and how people like perceive how I feel them. So like the expectation of those as a female, like I generally come at it from a very logical perspective and don't emote in a way that people expect me to, which I think was spoken about in a, an episode previously. But like there's, I think, a different expectation as a female to have very particular emotions about things and to show them in a very specific way. And people just don't know what to do when you don't give that to them. 
um, whether it's like sadness or excitement, anything in between. It's just, yeah, people just don't know what to do with it. What's usually going through your head when you're in one of those situations? Like I told you how I'm feeling. Like I'm sorry, my face doesn't match that. <laughs> yeah. And it also is just kind of weird to sit there. I actually had a conversation with my boyfriend about it the other day because I, long story short, have been coming off of medication and one of the side effects is just bouts of crying. Like that was the symptom that I had to prepare myself the most for because I don't know what to do with it sometimes for myself if that's how I show emotion. I was having one of those bouts and I was explaining to him, I was like, oh, it feels really big right now in this way, but I know that it's feeling this way because of this particular thing. It was like breaking it down outside of that he was like i don't know anybody who just you're sitting here crying but you're telling me why you're crying in the most logical way that you can like you're emotional but you're not emotional and i don't understand it but i was like i don't know what i don't know what to tell you like this is just how it is and that's basically what goes through my head every time it's just like this is just how it is i don't i don't know what to do with that the the whole like super logical side of things, I can resonate really well with that part, especially growing up. I was always a really logical kid and logic was really valued in my family. So I fit right in. But it made me too boyish for the girls to be with because I, I didn't like all the girly things. I didn't show emotions like girls are supposed to show emotions. And it may, and I was a girl, so I couldn't do all the boy things. So I was too boyish for the girls. I was too girlish for the boys. And while I think fives have an issue with isolation as a whole, it, um, it was a very particular brand of isolation in which you couldn't really fit into either group. Probably is what led me to start collecting the oddballs and weirdos in life <laughs> because they don't fit in either. Um, and so I just really gravitated towards them. And when you have emotions as a female five, like they tend to get written off as, oh, well, you're just on your period. And it's like, uh, no, if you knew me, you would know I don't do this and it's a big deal. And because I'm being so emotional, you really need to pay attention because I am giving you something that I don't give anybody else. And you should actually be listening to me. And I think that that's one of my big struggles being a female five. Yeah, I can definitely relate to what both of you are saying for sure. And I think for me today that it manifests as like I, I have a hard time meeting great female friends. And I think it's related to everything that we're talking about. It's one, I think maybe sometimes people make assumptions because when you're when you're quieter or you're an observant person. I think people fill in the gaps, right, of like what this person is. And that can cause problems when you're meeting new friends. And two, I would say for me today, a lot of the people that I'm meeting are like now that I'm a parent and I'm sort of entering the middle age space, it's a lot of moms. And I just really can't relate to most of what they're talking about. Like I'm over here like daydreaming about the meaning of life and they're talking about like, I don't know, life insurance policies or whatever. Like I'm just like, I can't. We don't have the same interests. And I feel like that's been a theme throughout my life of not really feeling like I fit in in any place. Growing up, I was definitely a tomboy and all of my buddies were boys. And then at a certain point, that just kind of changed for me, you know, and and then I sort of retreated, I think, more into my inner life and luckily came out with a few really great lifelong friends. But outside of that really tight knit circle, I feel like it can be hard to, to enter new spaces as an adult. Yeah. And the challenge of adding kids 
into your life is enough. But I, I experienced that too with Amy and I. It's, it's hard to just in general find couples that you can be friends with that also have like a similar parenting style. And you also have common interest and you know enjoy hanging out with them. Like just all around, it, there's a challenge there of this stage in life of building relationships. And so when I think adding on the female fiveness onto that, it just as a whole other layer of complexity. Since you you brought that up, though, I'm really curious. Like one of the other pieces of feedback we received is you know we did an episode on parenting, and it's mostly Cody interviewing me, but I could only give my perspective as a dad. And so I'm really curious, how is it, especially as a mom and being a five, like, what do you think are some of the the bigger challenges there for you? I, for me, the it's about being present when I need to be present and fighting the urge to retreat. A lot of us probably in times of stress retreat. And that's one of my biggest things is like, I need that me time. Like I just need to be in a room, often like a dark room with no noise, which is pretty much impossible at the stage of parenting so my challenge has been sort of going the opposite way like embracing just being in that moment even if it gets less than perfect on my end and then I have to talk to my kids about that which I think is is actually healthier for me and for them to see that wider range of needs for me and also the conversation about like you know sometimes we get angry or we get tired or we get sad and here's how how we can work together to to solve it so for me it's definitely being present and and staying in that room when my instinct is telling me to just like go away from all the people which is what i'd like to do so i don't have kids yet but i do have a question heather as a female five one of the things that i see in my practice with couples when they start having kids is moms just get so touched out by the end of the day like they don't want anybody touching them do you find as a female five that you have a lower threshold for being like mommed out like auditory touch wise whatever just having that sensory overload from being mom and being like mommy 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 all day long yeah totally my kids are a little older now so it's better i have twins by the way so the first few years were like kind of hellacious for me i'm not gonna lie because i i'm very sensitive to noise and um yeah noise is is a big one so touch is a way that i actually show love so i feel like that's one way where i can we can connect i can connect with my children through hugging and that kind of stuff but yeah i have two little boys and like sometimes they're just like screaming or they're fighting or it's just like constant noise and i just need to to kind of check out for a second and and find a way to to deal with it internally so I don't take it out on them. But for sure, there are days where at the end of the day, like I really do. Actually, I just did a, um, the like dunk tanks, you know, where you're like, you kind of float in those. It's like dark and you're in this water for an hour. That If I could do that every day, I think I would be, I would be very content. I'm with you there. I just started doing the float tank on a regular basis and it is yes. so recharging. It's amazing. <laughs> One more thing I'm I'm really curious about Heather is as a dad of really small children. One of the, one of the bigger shr- struggles aside from the wanting to withdraw is not being able to use logic in the situations to help people understand <laughs> to help them understand why they should or should not do something or why you don't want to do something right now. Like it's gotten better as they've gotten older, but it was I think that was a big struggle for me in the beginning their pure emotion, pure amygdala at those ages. I'm wondering what your experience has been like with that. 
That's funny because I guess when they were really little, I didn't really view them as fully formed humans. I mean, they're just, they're so like, (laughs) like you can't log, and this is going to sound terrible, please forgive me, but you can't can't logically argue with your dog, right? So you shouldn't assume that you can logically argue with a toddler either. I mean, you have to adjust, and I'm not talking to you in particular, but for me, that's what I would tell myself. Like, I need to adjust how I'm relating to these people who are very barely formed and <laughs> have no clue. Like, you know, the world is just this huge place with, and like, talk about sensory overload for me, like for them, putting myself in their shoes can help me, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because the world is super overwhelming for them. And they have just like this little speck of understanding about life. And I don't know, I think that's what gets me through. But I will say that we're talking about relating with children. And I think like relating to your spouse is like a whole other thing when you have young kids. That's where the arguments I think happen around like, well, we should be handling it this way versus this way and all of that. So I don't know if that's that's relatable to you. But Honestly, I think my biggest challenge of being a female five would be my ability, or should I say inability, to show displayable emotion. Having two older boys, raising them served me so well. However, raising a daughter now who is in high school, quite different. I don't really understand the nuances of the girl high school friendships. In high school, I hung out with primarily dudes because it was way easier. You didn't have to show or display emotions. So really it's just trying to be more in tune with her and not look at her like she's a three-headed monster with a contorted look on my face like I just don't get you right now. (laughs) So yes, just really trying to be in touch with that and show displayable emotions such as understanding or I don't know, it's just difficult. My biggest challenge as a female five is being perceived as more masculine or more robotic. That's because, you know, I'm living more in my head and I just struggle with being connected to my emotions. And there's an expectation that because I am a woman, I'm going to be more emotional, more in touch with my emotions, and I'm not. And so it can be difficult with female friends when they are trying to tell me about their problems. I jump to trying to solve the issues rather than just listen to how they're feeling. And I especially struggle when somebody's telling me how they're feeling and it doesn't really make logical or rational sense. Same thing happens when people expect an apology. If I don't understand rationally how they could be feeling how they're feeling or how I might have upset them, I can't give a sincere apology and that's gotten me in a lot of trouble in the past. So I've even had people say you come off as fake or robotic, like a lack of emotion because I don't tend to be very reactive. If somebody wants to bring up a concern about our relationship, whether it's friendship or romantic, I won't respond right away. I like to take time to think about it. I might read a book and do some research about it before coming back to them. And that just comes off as not as feminine as a lot of people would like me to be. 
So if we could go back kind of before you became a mom and like open this up to the rest, how do you ladies think about motherhood? Do you, do you look upon it fondly? Do you feel like the pressure or like, I'm just, I'm really curious if as much as you're comfortable sharing, like, what do you, what do you think of it? I think I have always viewed it fondly. Um, that is something that I've always enjoyed the idea of being a mom, which I think is kind of strange in the female five sphere because most of the conversations I've had, it's like, mm, not really, you know, kind of thing. I don't know how much of that really has to do with like my upbringing. I have four siblings, one of which I'm 11 years older than. And then my family also fostered for many years. So as a teenager, we had infants in the house. So that was just normal. And I actually really enjoyed that experience, which I also realize is very different than actually being a mom. And so I've just also been around kids. So from the time I was young being in, I grew up in church. So as a teenager, working with younger kids, and then now dating someone with three kids. So that's just always been a part of my life. And the majority of my piano students, because I taught piano for 13 years, have been ages 12 and under. So it's just kind of always been something that's been integrated in my life and has always just made sense as a part of my life. But I also, that was like a worry for me thinking about it is how draining is this going to be for me? At the end of the day, I'm just going to want to peace out at 8 p.m. They go to bed like I'm done, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And then just like needing that space. Yeah, recognizing that that's probably going to be a real thing for me. I also am one of four kids, grew up in a large Italian-Irish family. So there were always children around, which again is also different than being a mother and put myself through college doing nannying. So I've been around kids my entire life. The running joke growing up was that I had to marry somebody like me, but nicer, so that the kids had somebody who was nice to them. So <laughs> that probably tells you everything you need to know. And this is awesome. This will make you feel better, Heather. I love animals and kids because in a lot of ways they're the same because you know exactly where you stand with them. They don't give you any sort of BS. A kid will look you in the face and tell you that God's honest truth about whatever's going on. And I really love that aspect of children. But that aspect of that 24-7, 365 sort of care is very daunting. And I knew that it would never happen unless I found a partner who could also pick up my slack. So that's kind of how I am on motherhood. Yeah, I my family was really small. It was just my sister who left for college when I was like 11 or 12. So I had a lot of alone time as a kid, and I didn't think that I would ever have kids myself, to be totally honest. I just didn't have that urge to have children until I met my now husband. And then I think slowly over time changed my my mind a little bit about it. And of course, I'm very glad that I did have kids because it just has expanded my world much more than I, than I ever imagined. But for sure, when I was in my 20s, I kind of figured, eh, it's not really for me. You said that you you changed your mind a bit about it besides finding your spouse. What were some of the things that started to become appealing to you, do you think? I think for sure. I mean, it's almost entirely meeting a person that I knew I could do parenting with and who would be by my side. And also just when you meet that person, it's like, what an amazing thing to be able to do in life. And I, I think with maturity, maybe, and just that reflection is when I changed a little bit about it. I don't yeah. know if I have a better answer than that. It's so not something that I have ever really, I've never really tried to put words to that before. But yeah, It's hard to put words to because it's, it's almost this like kind of primal, instinctual thing. Yeah. 
So shifting gears here a little bit, I'd love to hear from each of you what you wish that people knew about you as a female five. Like if you could kind of cut off all of their assumptions at the pass when someone meets you, what would you like to communicate to them about the type of person that you are? I am a very what you see is what you get kind of person. And I don't think people expect that from me. I think fives get a bad rap sometimes because we do have a particular manipulative streak sometimes. And so I think there's always this like everything I do comes with an ulterior motive coupled with that with some of the gender stereotypes of women. Like if I do something nice for somebody, I'm doing it because I actually do have a generous heart and it comes from a place where like I feel I can have the energy to give. And if I have the energy to give, then I want to give it to you, especially if I care about you. But there's always an assumption that there are things attached to it. And if I'm offering it, then I'm offering it and it comes freely and I'm not expecting anything in return. But also, if I tell you I need you to leave me alone, I really need you to leave me alone and I don't mean it meanly. Yeah, for sure. Completely understand that. <laughs> Piggy, backing off of some of that, also just being like observant is it me trying to find your weaknesses and then somehow like especially in asking questions and like actually wanting to cut to the chase and get to know somebody like i'm not dismissing the small parts of your day or the small parts of you that you like talking about with small talk and whatnot it's just i actually want to know who you are and it's not because i want to find dirt on you or anything like that it's just because i like to know the real stuff i don't want to just play around like in any of my relationships or you know friendships surface levels not something i do very well yeah like some of the things of i'm going to tell it to you straight and if i tell you i need something i promise like i need it or else i would not be asking you i think those are two of the first things that come to mind immediately do you get annoyed when people try to anticipate your needs? It depends on the person and what my okay. background is with them, I think, personally. Outside of maybe your significant other, I guess I'm asking because that's one of my pet peeves is people trying to feel helpful rather than be helpful. And if mm. you were being helpful, you would ask me what it is that I need from you. And if you're trying to feel helpful, you just try to guess at what I need. And that drives me insane. And that's when I struggle with Enneagram 2s. <laughs> they are some of the most genuinely helpful people, and I love them. It's just there has to be an understanding of where everybody stands. Well, yeah, I'm friends with a few Enneagram 2s, and type 2s can be all over the map, right? Like, just like any of us can, right? Depending on mm -hmm. the levels of development a 2 is in at any given moment is going to be actually helpful they actually are to the people around them, or if they're just self-indulging in their their assistance with others. And so like, yeah, I completely understand that with it. But I think what Josiah is saying was that's also really difficult, I think, as a female, because society has like structured it as like, uh, we're the damsel in distress. And so I get mm -hmm. offers of help all the time. And it's like, no, no, I know how to do this. I, I actually know more about this than you do. I really do know how to do this, and you're just going to mess it up. Please go. But the <laughs> assumption there being that I don't know how to do certain things. I don't know how to change a tire. Oh, no, I know how to change a tire. And I may not have the arm strength to do it, but I, I can make it done, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> do you all get mansplained to a lot? 
<laughs> I think that's just a part of being female. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a universal experience. Yeah. I was going to say, I have a, I have a more, a, I think I have a better question to piggyback off that question actually is more like, do you feel like your response to being mansplained to differs from that of other personality types? Or in what ways do you think that that differs? Like, how do you deal with somebody trying to tell you something about something that you definitely know about? Every day of my growing up, pretty sure my older brothers are three. And so he loves to talk about everything he doesn't know anything about. Um, and we had some knockdown drag outs about it because there is nothing that gets my eight out faster than somebody telling me I don't know what I'm actually talking about. And I can remember over one Easter, he was saying something about Ulysses S. Grant. And my dad was really into biographies at one point. And so I'd gotten him the autobiography that Grant had written because he was really into Grant at one time. And he said something about Grant that was just not right because I had read the biography. And so I was saying, well, actually, historians now believe da-da-da-da-da because of this, 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 and this. And he did not take that well. And Easter was ruined, apparently. But there you go. That's um, <laughs> my backbone comes out real strong when I know I am right about something and you are not, which also means my emotions will come out sometimes, which can backfire. Yeah. See, I don't call that mansplaining. I call that five splaining. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, I, that's fair. <laughs> I, I explain things completely across all the gender spectrum of equally. Well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even look at who I'm, ta uh, who I'm talking to before I do that. <laughs> I will say, though, that that's why Reddit is my favorite platform, because I think most people assume I'm a man on Reddit. And I freaking <laughs> love it because people treat me so much differently. Like, they assume what I'm saying is correct versus sometimes in real life where it feels like they assume what I'm saying is incorrect until proven otherwise. I'm kind of curious. There was a kind of a theme going around earlier when you guys were describing, like, the fact that you were that your emotions were misinterpreted by others a lot. And I was kind of curious if you find, like, what are the differences between, of course, we're using a lot of, I, I will just want to throw this out there because I have a lot of friends who are you know, on the gender fluid spectrum. And so obviously we're using a lot of just like black and white men and women terms. That's kind of what we're talking about today. So having said that, and in this framework, what would you say are the differences <laughs> between being misinterpreted? Because it sounded like to me, a lot of the things you guys were talking about, I, just the way that I took it, it sounded like it was probably men a lot of the time misinterpreting your feelings, whether it's a significant other or friends. But I don't know if that was the case. I also, I am also making an assumption that more than one of you may come from a religious background. Please correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm sure that probably plays a huge part in it because I would be, I would imagine to be a five and to be in a female in religious circles, specifically within like Christianity America is a very difficult experience. I can't even imagine it's, it's as difficult as a five in general, but as a female five, I'm sure is incredibly difficult as somebody who comes out of that uh, background as well. So uh, anybody have any thoughts towards that that they'd like to to speak to? Because I'd like to hear that experience for sure. For me, I think it's both men and women. And I think it comes back to something, Ari, I think you said earlier about not being emotive. I am not always expressing outwardly what I'm feeling, like this rich inner life I wish is what people saw and that I could express more clearly. Because I think wrapped up in that is our our belief systems and our and our generosity and this refusal to be anything but genuine. And because I feel like I owe that to other people and I want that in return. So those kinds of things that are important to me, it's hard for me to express them outwardly in a way that feel accurate, I guess, or that it's received in an accurate way. 
would you say that that's more so then that's more a both and situation it's maybe them misinterpreting but also you not communicating or expressing those feelings in a way that could be interpreted the way that you'd like for them to be <laughs> are, are not expressing them in a way that fits the expectation of mm. how i may appear outwardly or what a person's assumptions are about me yeah on societal standards play a lot of mm. that societal ex- expectations for sure Yeah. And I think, yeah, definitely a lot of misinterpretation from men, but from women as well. For me, it came off as like, I'm not a very dramatic person and all of the girls I grew up with were. And so if I wasn't being overly dramatic, then I wasn't taken seriously. Somebody on one of the community posts had said something about that with doctors, like how when they go to the doctor, they have to be like, overly in pain to get a doctor to take them seriously. And it's very much that kind of mentality where like to get someone, especially in the medical field, but even emotionally, like to get someone to take me seriously, like I have to overdo it. Even though I may have a lot of knowledge about it or anything like that, like I can't just be like, hey, here's what I'm experiencing because if I'm not outwardly showing that to me what they think it should look like, then it's going to be, oh, well, that's not what you're experiencing. You're experiencing this other thing instead. And it's like, mm, I think I know me. I think I know what I'm feeling. And so, yeah, not always men, women too. And uh, I can speak a little to the religious piece of that. As a female five growing up in a, a very conservative religious space, I, I didn't fit the two, which is what most evangelical Christian women are supposed to be is the two. And I I learned how to mask it and to to put it on when I needed to in order to save energy so I didn't have to fight it. But that was like, oh, how I was a terrible person because I didn't do these things or it didn't look that way from the church as a whole, not from within my family unit, which is great for them and for me. But that also had led to that isolation of like, well, hey, I don't look like that. So that would be my experience there. Yeah, I think Elise and Heather both like hit the nail on the head with that. I think it's genuinely for me, both men and women who misinterpret on my side. I think for me personally, too, I am from a Christian background and and still within that, but like purity culture and everything. Like, I don't know if you all went to youth groups where everything was separated. There were no guy friends in my life for, you know. <laughs> That wasn't even a thing until I became an adult. And I was like, oh, I can be friends with males and like, and actually I get along with them really well. But yeah, it was a lot of uh, misinterpretation from both sides. And I think that for me led to, it's easier just to keep all emotion in generally than to even try to express it in any way because it'll generally be misinterpreted or not fit the box and want to be genuine in my emotions. Giving that out doesn't even feel worth it if I'm just going to be trying to fit a box within that. So, Yeah, the energy it would take to let that out is is way more exhausting or draining than just trying to mask it. Exactly. I think my biggest challenge as a female five is that I know my own intellectual power, but that also leads to me constantly questioning if I am enough or too much for the rest of the world. Do I know more than I should? Is my presence outside the norm? Why do I often feel like an outsider even when I'm the expert in the room? These may just be things that are normal to being a five, but they're questions that I'm always asking and can't really seem to escape either. Sometimes people say that I'm cold or I've been told a lot that I'm intimidating, but I think I just have a legitimate ability to distinguish fact from feeling and act accordingly. 
But that's also one of my favorite things about being a female five is that in the moment, I see my brain working differently from those around me. One of my best friends said to me once in the middle of a completely unrelated discussion, I've always loved having your input for free and I can't see the future, but I do know for certain that at some point I'm going to have to hire you. And that was one of the most affirming things I've ever been told, that my expertise was valuable beyond my ability to articulate it and that I was valuable. Um, another thing I love about being a female five is that I am the vault. People often describe type nine as the one who everybody goes to to talk with, but I think this is also an underrated quality of many fives. People often tell me far more than they think they do, and it's really my ability to put together those puzzle pieces in both personal and professional context means that I am a keeper of secrets people don't even realize they've told me. What I really love about this is first that I have all that knowledge, and then also secondly that I'm the only one with the power to use it and use it wisely. I think that Cher probably said it best. She said, I'm very gentle, I'm really sweet, and if you fuck with me, I'd really mop the floor with you. One of the best parts about being a female five is, for me, I am not afraid to ask the more difficult questions of life. I assume that there's an answer to any question that you could possibly ask, and because of this, I'm so curious to know what that answer is, and I will spend months and months thinking about one specific question. It's very exciting when I make progress on different things that I'm curious about, and the challenge here is that my friends don't always want to talk about the deep philosophical questions that my mind is curious about. But nonetheless, I have discovered many beautiful things about life and the world and myself. So I am encouraged in this conversation because the way that you're, you're all describing your experiences at its core, at least it's like, I can resonate with it so much because we're all fives. And so the main theme that I, I'm picking up here, and obviously feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, we all have kind of the shared fiveness. And it seems like the biggest difference is that is the outward expectations that are placed on us. And that those expectations for a five probably align a bit better with being a male five versus being a female five. Does that sound accurate? I would agree with that. That's yeah. fair. So I'm, I'd love to hear from you all on if you could remove your top three expectations, what do you think that they would be? I think that's a little bit of an unfair question because I think there's a lot of nuance there. I'll stop for a five answer, right? Um, mostly <laughs> because it. I think that that plays into a lot of societal views of sex and sexuality, right? Hmm. I think the things that, that would have to be stripped are some of like the compulsory sexuality that we experience within society that like everybody's supposed to be incredibly sexual. Because I think a lot of the boxes that I feel female fives have to fit into play very heavily into those sort of roles. A male five can be a bookworm and a little nerdy and quiet and he suddenly becomes like this heartthrob movie star kind of thing where he's just like, ah, oh, the perfect guy because he's got this sensitive core, but he's this amazing person, right? 
But you put that on a female five, and in the movies, they suddenly become this nerdy librarian who wears glasses and dresses really frumpy. And in order to become more fully who they are, they have to become this grease sort of thing where they're now this very sexual creature who is very, very feminine. And I think that in order to almost put it at that level playing field of it's not male or it's not female, it's just fiveness, you kind of have to strip away some of those things. Which is why I think it's an unfair question, because I don't think it boils down to just three things. It's a whole way of thinking about who people are and how we decide who people are. I absolutely love the, that answer. That's that fantastic. an amazing answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a mic drop button. Just like, is there a better question I can ask here? Then? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm afraid to ask any questions. <laughs> no, I would need like a month like pre-notice for that question to maybe attempt, but... Yeah, there's too much education that has to go into that question. That's fair. I have had one phrase rolling around in my head, and it comes from a Richard Rohr podcast about how he feels that as a whole, women have an easier time learning how to be embodied than men do because we go through mm. so many life changes that affect our bodies. And when Heather was talking about her experience being a mom, that kind of like started rolling around in my head about like, do you find as a five our way through our emotions is often through our body? Because we don't want to deal with that hard stuff. But if we can get into our body, then we can get into those emotions. Having gone through, Heather, that birthing process, whatever that looked like for you, do you find that it's changed how you view the embodiment of yourself as a whole person instead of just a mental exercise? I can't say for sure that it was one definitive moment, but definitely I often thought of myself as like a floating brain, like for a very long time. I, I had that image of myself, like I just could not access anything below the shoulders in terms of what I needed and what I was experiencing. I will say that since I've had kids, that has changed pretty dramatically. And perhaps it is because as a mother, it is very physically taxing. And then there's a physical bonding that happens for the first time for me anyway, with with babies and raising babies. And then I think too, it's pretty hard to not experience like huge rushes of emotion once you've given birth. I know that a lot of that is like hormonal, but I guess I would say that's probably true. I haven't had that feeling. So for me, it, when I was always at my worst in before kids, I could tell because I had that feeling of like, or that thought of I'm just this floating brain floating around on overdrive. I can't turn off the thoughts. Like those were always like my worst state. And that hasn't really been a consistent feeling for a very long time. I don't know if that, if you guys have experienced that, that was always my big one. I hate exercise because I would rather be a brain in a tank. So, yeah, I, I totally. get that one. Meditation also came into my life around that time and a lot of journeying toward like identifying like self-care and things that had never really occurred to me. Routines, like all the healthy things that people should be doing in their lives anyway, also came into the picture around that time. So all of those things play a role in growth as well. I actually really got into lifting quite a few years ago, and that tremendously helped pull myself out of the tank a little bit. And then somehow I've always been kind of into art, which is, I think, when I was talking about the memeified version of me trying to figure out my Enneagram type, like I felt the four draw to the artistic side. So like poetry and that kind of stuff, I've always 
pulled myself back in with those things. But as soon as I let them go for like any period of time, like the mind in the tank is exactly what it is for me. Which is why float tanks seem so appealing. It's like your perfect state, but it's also you can't if you're not communicating with others or connecting with others, then it can't ever be an ideal state either. So it's sort of this this irony of being a five, you know, like we crave that. But once you have it, it's like, but I'm here by myself. There's nobody here. I will say the salt cave. If you've never done a salt cave with a bunch of people you like, that's pretty okay. It's basically like you just go into this room that's like got Himalayan pink salt lined on it and they spray like a salt water mist into the air. But they play really nice music and you lay in a really nice reclining chair with a whole bunch of other people. But everybody's like really quiet and meditative. So it's like you're by yourself, but you're with a group of people. That's pretty nice. Hmm. That's the perfect state. I I was doing meditation, group meditation. It was the best social experience for me because there was no talking. But I did really feel like I was connecting with everybody in the group because we were doing a shared experience. Hmm. It's that idea of parallel play. Like, I think fives have mastered parallel play. Like, we want to do things with people. We just don't want people to do them with us. You go do your thing. (laughs) I'll do my thing. But let's be in the same space. Yep. And the funny thing is, that was my sort of picture of what marriage would be like. And then I married a four. (laughs) And that's the opposite of what she pictured marriage would would be like. (laughs) That's why you got to marry a one, man. (laughs) Uh, we've helped we've helped uh, balance each other out for sure. So before we wrap up here, first I want to say thank you to each of you for uh, coming on to the show and being vulnerable. And I know as a five, it's not um, always the easiest thing to do. Uh, Cody and I have had a lot of practice because we've been doing this a little while and we've been friends forever. But uh, to have to have the three of you come on and share with us, I think we we really appreciate it. Um, a lot. And I know that everyone listening does too. So thank you. And the last question that I have for you is for all of the female fives out there, uh, do you have any bits of advice or words of encouragement or anything along those lines? I guess I would just say we have a lot of great traits as fives and we have added strengths as women and people who identify as women. So lean into those strengths and stand your ground when the world tries to push you around love it what about you Ari yeah I would say like once you find the people who can get it and appreciate all those traits that Heather was talking about it's really cool to start seeing them as as strengths and not weaknesses like I know a lot of the ways that we perceive them um, based on societal expectations and yeah there are spaces where like being a female five is really welcomed and really cool awesome thank you elise yeah i guess i'd have to agree with ari and heather on that one like it may depending on where you're at in your journey in your journey in fiveness and where you're at age-wise and all of that like your people exist out there and you just have to find them and they are worth it and it's hard to find them sometimes but once you do they're your people and they will see the best in you and help you see the best in yourself well I couldn't think of a better way to wrap this up. So let's call it a wrap. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Hey, it's Josiah, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode and you're the type of person who likes helping others, would you do us a favor and share it with other people like you? If you found value in this conversation, they will too. 
I also want to give a special thanks to our community members who shared their voice with us in this episode. If anything in this conversation has resonated with you, or if you have any further thoughts or questions, I want to invite you to join our community of other people like you and continue the conversation at Enneagram5.com. 